Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you guys are here online and in person. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here today. Uh, hopefully more than just today. But I'm glad that you guys are here. If you haven't filled out one of those forms, arisedenver.com slash connect, please do that. I would love to reach out to you and say hi, hear your story, and get you um, connected to our church. So we are in week two of our series, Unexpected Examples. If you missed last week, it's okay. It's okay. You, you'll, you'll catch up pretty quickly. Um, but you can find the video, the audio, and the transcripts of every message at arisedenver.com slash media. You can even subscribe to the, like any podcast app, any on YouTube, you can subscribe and make sure you don't miss any of the messages. Because we're talking about unexpected examples, things that Jesus pointed to and it's like, no, 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 don't look over there. Look at the unexpected examples. And, and today we're going to look at the sinner we should imitate. Yes, there is a sinner that Jesus is gonna say, look at that sinner, be like that guy. So if you're like, all right, finally a message for me. Yes, but a little different than maybe what you <laughs> think right off with the bat. But a, the sinner that we should imitate. So I had a pretty crazy Friday afternoon. It, it, it was pretty crazy because someone pointed an AR-15 at me. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it got my attention too. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me back up a little bit. So one of my neighbors rang my doorbell, right? We were getting down to have lunch, and he said, hey, someone crashed into your Jeep. You got to come out. So I come out uh, to check out what's going on, and someone had driven a pickup, a Chevy Silverado, must have been going pretty fast, into my Jeep. My Jeep had the e-brake on, and it had gone back at least eight fit, feet, hit the car behind it, and that went back. You could see the skin marks another five feet. The airbag deployed, and the driver, he had walked around for a second, so this is before I came out, had paced around back and forth, and then fled on foot. So no plates on the truck, pretty sure it's a stolen vehicle, and we're just trying to figure out what's going on, looking around. My Jeep um, probably totaled, right? And just trying to figure out what is going on. And, and as we're waiting for the police to come, it's, it's me and five of my neighbors. You know, a few of them were witnesses to all this stuff. And right then, another pickup comes up right next to the first, and they start grabbing all the stuff out of the crashed pickup. There's all sorts of tools in there. There's a jack. There's a whole, all sorts of bags of equipment. They're taking everything, throwing it into this pickup that just pulled up. And I get out my phone to record this, right, as, as you do nowadays. But as I'm doing it, one of the guys says, don't do that. Back off, back off. Don't do something stupid. And I noticed that the jack that I thought he was holding was actually an AR-15, so he, because uh, he, he takes it over the, you know, the back of the pickup and, and kind of points it in my direction. So I immediately put down the phone, back off, right? I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not stupid, as he, as he said, right? They drive off. The cops show up, like, just after that. And it, so if you were in Central Park North on Friday, you know why the entire neighborhood was shut down with uh, lots of um, uh, cop cars. So I'm saying that not only because I've been getting a bunch of questions. People are like, Matt, what happened? What's going on? What happened to your Jeep? It's probably totaled. But... It made me, and so I'm telling you guys just that in case anybody's wondering. I'm okay. My Jeep is not, but I'm okay, right? But that's the thing. Like, it was an eye-opener because right when I got back in and I talked to Melissa, she said, what were we fighting about this morning? Who cares, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. Like, it, we realized even just from a few minutes earlier, like, I'm, I'm angry because my car is ruined, and then a moment after that, I don't care at all, Right? Because I'm just grateful to be alive. One of my neighbors who, as far as I know, isn't a believer, he said, hey, Matt, you got your sermon for Sunday. And I was like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, that changes your attitude, right? Like the attitude of gratitude right there. And I'm like, yes, he does. It, it didn't change my message, but, but it does open us up. Because when you're that close to 
dying, and, and you realize, wow, I could have died very quickly with just a pull of the trigger, that I'm so grateful that it was just my car that was damaged. I'm so grateful that the 18 kids that live on our courtyards, that none of them were outside. Grateful that my own twins were not outside because, you know, they like running everywhere, even into the street, right? Just so grateful. E even though just a moment before I was like, ah, man, my, my Jeep, right? Who cares about the Jeep at this point? And, and we have these moments in our life. Some of you have had them. There's been like a car accident. Someone dies. Maybe you come close to death. And it, it really shakes things up in your life. And it should. So I'm hoping that that moment from my life will help you guys sober up and think about your life. Because what we're going to talk about today is one of the most important things. It's actually probably the central um, doctrine, the central belief that we have as followers of Jesus. So as we look at this, as Jesus teaches us what's at the very center of our faith, I hope that will be important to you guys because what we're going to talk about today is how are we to get right with God? Are we right with God? Are you right with God? Am I right with God? And, and how do we know? So that's what we're going to look at because that is the most important question because whether you believe in God or not doesn't matter because on the last day, you will stand before him and have to give an account. And the question will be like, won't be, uh, are, are you real or not? It'll be, you know, uh, are, are you right with God? So, so how do we get there so that we are ready for the last? Because to be honest, it doesn't matter how you feel about God. Some people are like, oh, I just, you know, I don't like the fact that there's suffering children in, in Africa and, and hurricanes. Like, it doesn't matter how you feel about God. What matters is how God feels about you. What's, what's reality? Is he there? And are you right with him? So I hope that you guys will sober up, focus today, as I have been sobered up on Friday, to really think about it. If I were to die today, because one day all of us will die, whether it's from, you know, uh, an automatic weapon, a semi-automatic weapon in our neighborhood, or, or something, you know, years, decades from now, all of us will die, and are we ready to stand before the judgment seat? And to know, are we right with God? So that's what we're going to look at today. So this central doctrine that we're going to learn today is called justification. Justification. This is so important. We're going to get a theology lesson from Jesus himself, but it's so important, and this doctrine is so important. This is what Martin Luther, the German theologian, said about it. He said, the article, justification, by which the church stands or falls. We as followers of Jesus, this is where we stand or fall. This is our entire belief is centered around this one doctrine. The, the second thing, uh, John Calvin, the French theologian, says, wherever the knowledge of it, justification, is taken away, the glory of Christ is extinguished, religion abolished, the church destroyed, and the love of salvation utterly overthrown. So this is pretty a big deal, right, that we're talking about justification today. It's not like how many angels are there, which is interesting, but who cares, right? What matters is justification, because what justification is, is, is are you right with God? Justification, as we're going to learn today, is actually a declaration from God himself that you're right that you're righteous, and therefore you don't have anything to fear on the judgment seat. So we're going to learn today. So how are we going to do that? And, and we're going to start today because Jesus is going to say there's, you know, there's really two different types of people. So as we look at this story that Jesus teaches us today, there are two different dudes that Jesus talks about, and I want you to think about and be completely honest with yourself about which of these two dudes you are. And yes, ladies, think about which dude you are in, in this story, Okay. So are you the first one? The first one is the Pharisee. He's a religious person. He is spiritual. He knows the Bible. He goes to church. He does what he's supposed to. He serves. He gives. He's an upright person. He's probably a leader in the community, in his family. So, so that person, if you're like, hey, that, that's kind of like me. Most of us, if we are churchgoers, fit into that camp. I, as a pastor, fit into that camp as the Pharisee. 
So, so just think of that. Are honest. Are you that person? Do you identify more with that person? The second person we're going to see is a guy that's a tax collector. Tax collector. Now we're like, okay, what's wrong with the IRS? I mean, we don't like them, but how does this fit into it? Well, in Jesus' day, a tax collector would have been someone who not only collected taxes for the Roman Empire, but he would have taken a little bit more. So the Roman Empire, who ruled over Israel, where Jesus and, and the rest of the Jewish nation lived, they ruled over them, and they would tell the Jews, okay, we need someone to bring us this amount of money. Here's your quota. And the tax collectors, who were Jews themselves, were saying, okay, well, I've got to get that, so I'm going to take those from my neighbors, my friends, my family member. But in order for them to get paid, they could request whatever they want. So there was not an IRS statement that you got and you, know, you had your accountant. The tax collector would come and say, you owe this money. So they were notorious for taking way more than they needed. So these guys robbed from their own friends and family member. They were rich, but people despised them. And Jews saw them and they think, you're Jewish, why aren't you part of us? Why are you, you know, a traitor to our cause and friends with the Roman Empire? So everybody hated him. They were the worst of sinners. Nobody wanted to go with him. So when Jesus in introduces the tax collector, I want you to see a worldly sinner. <laughs> so they are just going along with what the Roman Empire says. So some of you in here are going to identify with that. And that's okay too. Let's be honest. And you're saying, yeah, I am a sinner. I do some wrong things. I probably have taken money from people. I probably have sinned against people. And yeah, maybe people don't like me for it, but that's what I do. So if you're like, which one of those two you are, as we get into the story, you'll see the different details Jesus lays out. I want you to be honest, completely honest. Am I more like the Pharisee or am I more like the tax collector? Be honest. And let's see what Jesus says about these two guys in Luke 18, starting in verse 9. So open up your Bibles with me. Smartphone, get out YouTube. Get the, uh, I'm sorry, the YouVersion Bible app. You can find our event under Rice Church Denver. Online, get your uh, Bible, open up another browser, whatever it is. And in verse 9, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So he's just up front. He's like, he's talking about the people that are like the Pharisee. You're confident of your own righteousness. You're confident that you're doing what you're supposed to do, that you're a pretty good person. That God looks at you and says, wow, you're doing pretty good for yourself. So those people who are, who are confident of their own righteousness, Jesus says, hey, here are these two men who went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So first, Jesus is, is really talking to these, these people that identify with the Pharisees. The first thing he says is that they're confident of their own righteousness. Did you see that? Righteousness, I think a simple way to remember it is, are you right with God? Okay? We, we use the term righteousness, and even now it almost has like bad connotations in our country, like, oh, that person is so righteous, you know, or, you know, maybe Ferris Bueller, righteous dude, right? But okay, most of the time we think of it as not a good term, but it's a very good term. Are you right with God? But this guy is saying, I'm right on my own. So for those people who says, I I've got it going on, and, and what they're doing is they're looking at themselves, and I think, and I have found some of these people say, I'm doing pretty good now because look at how I used to do be. Pharisees will say, you know, I used to not be a good person. Back in high school, I did some stuff, right? But now, look at me. Like, I, I may have messed around and done some dumb things when I was younger, but look how much work I've got. I, I, I've improved a lot. So, that, so they look at themselves as the standard. And then they look down on everyone else, and they compare themselves to others because it is very easy for us to find pretty bad sinners around us, right? People have done some bad stuff. 
read the news. Okay, run into some criminals with assault rifles. Okay, maybe you guys, hopefully you won't do that, right? But there's some people around us that have done some bad things. You read the news, you see it on social media. Someone sends you that text at 3 a.m. and you're like, they were drunk. At least I'm not that guy, right? And we have people around us. It's very easy when we compare ourselves to others to think, I'm doing pretty good for myself. So Jesus addresses us who are like the Pharisee that way, right? And this is what he says about the Pharisee in verse 11. Look at this. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Look at this prayer that he prays. He's basically be like, God, you're welcome. <laughs> Seriously, look what all I've done for you. I tithe everything. In the Old Testament, they were only even supposed to tithe from their, their crops, from their produce, from their animals. And he's like, I tithe everything. A lot of the Pharisees in that day would even tithe from their like, herb garden. Like, I'm, I'm making sure I'm doing everything right. And, and he says, you know, I, I fast twice a week. It was actually only required in the law to fast one day a year. This guy's fasting twice a week. That is impressive religiously, okay? Some of you guys can't even fast for like four hours before getting hangry, right? That's me. That's me, okay? Sorry, honey. Um, yeah, you, you, this guy's impressive, right? Spiritually, he's got it going on. He's doing some good stuff. And, and nothing he says, as far as we know, is false. Did you notice that? God, this is what I do for you. This is how faithful I am. This is how religious. Look at me. I am righteous. I am right with you. You're welcome. And, and notice, too, in this little ver- in these two sentences, this I'm sorry, it's only like one sentence in these, in these two verses. He, he says, I thank you that I am not like other people. And that, verse 12, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. In those two verses, he says, talks about himself five times. Did you notice that? Pretty selfish, yeah. This is like, I want to talk about me, I want to talk about mine, right? To God. Like, look at me. I'm doing pretty well. And this may be, like I said, because he's comparing himself to his own past, but he's also comparing himself really to others. Look at how bad they are. We are very good at grading ourselves compared to others. There are some awful people and sinners in the world, and we see them and we know them. We look down on them and raise ourselves up. This is what self-righteousness is, right? Self-righteousness. And I think it's such a fascinating thing. There's even some psychological studies that they're doing now, and there's, there's been a lot of studies that have proven this, is that when we um, look at other people at what they do, we judge them pretty harshly. In fact, we assign to them pretty bad motives. Someone did that, it's because they're hateful and they're a racist. We judge their motives. But when we do the exact same thing, studies are showing this, we say, oh, you know, that's not what I intended. I didn't mean to hurt their feelings. I meant better. So we rationalize about ourselves, justifying ourselves when we condemn others for sometimes the exact same actions. We do this. And we, we look at their actions and we see things like there are adulterers around us. Man, you can hear some great stories about some of the awful stuff. You just read any People magazine or you just talk with anybody and they'll gossip, they'll tell you. And you're like, this is what we do, this is what we do. We judge their sin and we rationalize our own. So we say, oh, I can't believe anyone would cheat on their spouse like that. 
But then we look at ourselves. That's oh, just a little bit of porn. We, we, we judge them and they say, I can't believe they stole all that money, but I'm just fudging the numbers a little bit on my taxes. This is what we do. And that's why it's very easy to look down on other people and find all the other sinners around us. How awful they are. How could they do that? And we come up with all sorts of self-justification for it. I didn't have a dad growing up, so didn't have a role model. I guess I can, you know, I got a reason for it. I didn't, I didn't have parents that taught me Christianity, so of course I didn't know that that's right or wrong. I, man, psychology now, okay? A lot of it is just like blaming your parents for the bad things you're doing now. Blaming our genetics now, too. I saw a study that came out a couple weeks ago that said, based on your genes, people are more likely to have premarital sex. I don't think it's a problem with their genes. It's something going on in their genes, right? Let's be honest. We blame everybody else, even for our sin, and we, we elevate ourselves. I'm not that bad. At least I'm not like him. I'm, at least I'm not like her. Even when we do something terrible, well, I haven't done it twice. Okay? All you have to do is go to prison. You'll find people that have been way worse than you, right? I just did a little crime, right? It was just white collar. No, no big deal. Like, it is easy for us to justify ourselves, and that's why most of us fall into the identification with the Pharisee. And the problem with it is not just the sins that we overlook in our own life, but the pride we have in it. It's our pride, and pride is maybe the worst of all sins because pride leads to all the other sins combined. Augustine, theologian, he said, and it gets translated from the Latin a little differently, but basically he said that pride is pregnant with all other sins. <laughs> pregnant. All the other sins come out of that because we say... Um, I, I should lie to get out of this situation because it's really not that big of a deal. Like, I, I should be able to get out of this, this bad mess that I've gone in, so I'll just lie. It's not that big of a deal. Or, or we, you know, make everything relative. I'm amazed. I remember my freshman year of college, our professor's like, who thinks um, truth is universal? And I raised my hand. I'm the only one in there. Who thinks truth is relative? Everyone raises their hand. Because what we do when we get in trouble, we're like, you know, the Ten Commandments, they don't really apply to me right here because my situation is unique, Everybody says that. My situation. You don't know what I had to deal with, what I've struggled. We, we do this, and it's all pride. It's pride, and God hates pride. Because worst of all, we put ourselves in the place of God. I don't have to follow what he says, because it doesn't apply to me. Pride is pregnant with all the other sins. And that's why even this religious person who, from the outside, people look at him and think, wow, look how much he fasts, look how much he ties, look how much good he does. He's an upright person. He's there for his family. And we look at that person, and God sees a person whose heart is filled with pride. And that's sin. And that's sin. Even this guy, th this is the crazy thing, because God sees our hearts. And even for this, the Pharisee, and, and like us, we, we're identifying with the Pharisees, a lot of us. When we do good things, we do them to make ourselves look good. Right? We do this. There's a fascinating verse in Isaiah 64, where God, speaking through the prophet, says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. That's what Isaiah says. All of us are unclean. And all our righteous acts, the good things we do to get right, to, to make ourselves look right, are like filthy rags. Like filthy rags. And that word filthy rags in the Hebrew meant a menstrual rag. God is saying, 
that the best things you do, serving, giving, you think, oh, I'm, I'm so great. It's like a discarded pad to God because you're doing it to make yourself look good, to justify yourself, self-righteousness. But there is a better way. There is a better way. And God says, we got a better way. Jesus says, there's the Pharisee, but there's a better way because there's another man there at the temple that day. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. The, the, the Pharisee is praying by himself because he doesn't want to be contaminated by all those sinners out there. Don't want them to rub off on me. But, but this tax collector, this sinner, he stands at a distance because he doesn't want to contaminate other people. He's at a distance. I, I love this because I talk to a lot of people, and maybe some of you here, you slink in a little late to service, you sit in the back. Maybe you're watching online for the 10th week in a row. You still are like, I don't know if I can go in there yet. I have people I talk to, they're like, Matt, I'm sorry, I can't go to church. If I went in there, the place would burn to the ground because they know what they've done. They know their sin. They're honest with themselves. They know their past. They know their present. They look at themselves. And it says that he would not even look up to heaven. He can't look God in the eye. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's beating his breast because this is like just the natural response. If you've ever seen someone that, that immediately is in the thralls of grief, they'll do this. I've seen it as a pastor. I've seen people. It's just like so much sorrow, so much grief that it leads to a physical response. This man is so emotional because he is coming into the temple and knows he needs mercy. He needs compassion for God from God because he has done something wrong. It says a sinner but there's actually the article in the Greek. This could be this man saying, God have mercy on me, the sinner. I'm the sinner that that guy's talking about in his prayer. I'm the sinner in town. Everybody knows that I am the awful guy who's done all sorts of bad death. So some of you identify with the tax collector that way. I'm the sinner. I need help. I have messed up again and again, and I keep doing the same dumb things. This addiction has gotten me. Why did I do this again? this tax collector cries out for mercy. That word mercy was, was a term tied to the temple. Was it tied to the temple because in the temple, what would happen was that animals would be sacrificed to bring mercy to sinners. To bring mercy. So let me explain how the temple works so it kind of makes sense with this, and then we'll explain what that, that word mercy means. So in the temple, in the very center of the temple there in Jerusalem, there's one temple for God's people, the Jews. In the center was the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary, where only the high priest was allowed to go in. And then outside of that was the sanctuary, the holy place, where all the priests could go in and offer sacrifices on behalf of the sinful people. Outside of that was a court where Jews, who were believers in God, could go. And they would go and you know, offer a sacrifice on their behalf. So probably the Pharisee is in that inner court. But then beyond that, that that's where the, the believing men would be. And I'm just telling you the way it was. Then there was a court of women outside of that for believing women. But then outside of that was the court of the Gentiles. Because if people were not part of the people of God, they couldn't get anywhere near the holy, holy God. Distant upon distant upon distant. So probably, we don't know exactly, but this, this tax collector was probably in the court of the Gentiles. At a distance, he's seeing all this going on, 
And he's crying out for mercy because there, in the center of the temple, in the holy place, is where animals were sacrificed. And animals were sacrificed because there had to be bloodshed. There had to be some cost, a payment, for the sins of the people. Did you know when you owe a debt, somebody has to pay it? This is a newsflash for some people. Okay? If you owe money, somebody has to pay it. There's a, a lot of news stories going around right now about like, forgiving student um, loans. Like, let's just cancel all of that. Like, there's people marching for that kind of stuff. Um, but somebody's got to pay it. I, I read this one story uh, about a guy, and I'm, I'm fudging a little bit in the details, but it gives a general sense. This guy who had gotten his master's degree in something like medieval literature, right? Owes like over $180,000 for his education. And he's making a big stink because he wants his student loan to be forgiven because he has figured out that now that he's working at the, um, you know, the convenience store down the street because he can't get a job in medieval literature and he's making less than $40,000 a year that he calculated based on what it costs to live and the other debt he has, you know, you know I was on the car, I was on the cell phone, all that other stuff, that it's going to take him over 120 years to pay back the $180,000 he owes. I'm making some of the details, but you guys have heard these stories, right? Sadly, some of you guys are like, yeah, that's me. Um, Okay, so this guy owes a lot of money, and people are like, we should forgive their debt. But if some debt is forgiven, somebody has to pay it. If someone owed you $1,000 and they said, why don't you forgive it? You're like, well, I, then I'm out $1,000. So whether it's the bank or the institution or a friend or the federal government, somebody's got to pay it. And if it's the federal government, guess what? It's us, right? <laughs> the taxpayer. Somebody's paying for a debt to be canceled. Now, I'm not making a political statement one way or the other whether we should forgive debts or whatever. I'm just saying somebody pays when a debt is forgiven. And in the same way, this man is saying, I owe a debt, and he calculates his salary, and he's like, okay, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done this. Oof, that was a bad thing. Yeah, when I was 16, I got into some real trouble. When I was 25, I got into some real trouble. Oh, when I was 30, and I... Ooh, yeah. So he's, he's calculating his, what he owes, right? I owe God all this. And, and then he's like, well, and this is how much I make. And this is, if, if I serve here, if I give money back, if, if I, whew, it's going to take me 46,000 years to, to pay off my debt. That's what he's calculating in that moment. So he, when, we, when he's crying out for mercy, he says, there is nothing I could ever do in thousands of lifetimes to pay back God for all that I have fallen short of his glory. I have sinned against the God of the universe. I deserve judgment and retribution, rightfully so, for my sin. But he cries out for mercy because he said, God, would you please pay? Would you please offer me mercy? Would you have some sacrifice that maybe could atone for my sins. So when he cries out for mercy, he says, God, I can't bring anything here. I need you to do everything. So I have this great quote from the American theologian now, Jonathan Edwards. If we can jump to that. You contribute nothing to your salvation but the sin that made it necessary. Did you know that? When we're coming to God, if we're honest, we can do nothing to become right with God. We can't do enough in this lifetime because we sin and we keep sinning. And even when we do the right things, we're like the Pharisee and we do them so that we can look good. And they're like filthy rags before God. The only thing that you contribute to your salvation, 
is the sin that made it necessary. And where the Pharisee looks at himself and thinks, I'm doing pretty good compared to all those people. The tax collector is honest. He's truthful. And he says, I need mercy. I need mercy. And that's why Jesus says, imitate this sinner's example. He's the one we should be like, not the Pharisee. Don't imitate his sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying in his sin, he admitted his need for mercy, for a savior, for someone to help him up because he had nothing left. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's one of the most, it's probably the most powerful organization for behavior change. People study it left and right because it is able to help people that are alcoholics recover when no other organizations are. And one of the fascinating things about it, you have to like declare a bunch of different things in the steps. And one of them is that we admit that we are powerless to do anything to change and that our lives are unmanageable. How is it that the people that are actually changing their life are the people who say, I can't change? Well, it's because one of the other steps that come later is when you admit that you need a higher power. Did you know that? Sociologists study this, and they have the darndest time trying to figure out why AA works, because you can't measure God. You, you just can't figure it out. But, but they see it again and again and again, and it was, it was a follower of Jesus who started Alcoholics Anonymous. And we have two groups that meet here. Some of you are part of that. I love you guys. Because you are admitting the truth that we all should that we are sinners and we can do nothing to save ourselves. We can't change our behavior. We need help because even when I do good things, it's for bad motives to promote myself and make myself righteous. I need Jesus to save me. I need mercy. Have mercy on me, Lord. That's how we should all be. Like this sinner, like this tax collector. Have mercy on me because there's nothing I can contribute to my salvation. And what's amazing is the conclusion Jesus gives us in verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, the sinner, who had wronged his own people, who had wronged God, broken commandments, that this man, rather than the other, that Pharisee, the upright Christian, the pastor, the guy who's serving in Sunday school, that sinner went home justified. Before God. That word justified is so important here. The word justified, it means to be declared right. It was a legal term. And when there was a judge in those days, so these days, if you go to court, um, the judge will either declare guilty or not guilty. But in those days, there was also a declaration of righteousness, of innocence, of you are right. Like it was the positive version. Like you didn't not just do something wrong, but you actually are in the right. And a judge would declare that. You are justified. So God, as the judge of all, is the one we should care about. It doesn't matter what we think. Am I righteous? It doesn't even matter if I'm more righteous than other people around me because guaranteed you can find people more sinful than you. We know that. What matters is what God, the judge of all, who we will stand before on the last day, whether he says we're right or not. And what Jesus tells us, who knows the heart of God, who was with God from the beginning says that the sinner who cried out for mercy was the one who was justified. See, this is the central belief to Christianity, justification. One way to remember it, it's, this is real simple, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Okay? You're declared right. You can see this in a place like Acts chapter um, 
13, if we have that verse. Acts chapter 13, verse 39 says, Through Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses by doing all the commandments and doing everything right. You couldn't get that. But you can be justified. You can be set free from sin. It can be just as if I'd never sinned if you believe in Jesus Christ. Because here is the amazing thing that we believe at the center of our faith is that Jesus was the only person, the only human being who ever lived who did not sin and never did anything wrong. He followed all of God's commandments and not just to impress others because he didn't care about what they thought of him. He did everything right because he loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he showed that by loving others, by serving, by being obedient every single moment of every day. And yet still, he was punished as if he had done something wrong. He was rejected by his friends. He was betrayed by someone he loved. He was spit on, mocked. And then they took him, after they beat him and gave him a a false trial, they took him outside of the city. Because in those days, if you were going to be executed for a crime, for sins that you committed, you couldn't even just be like in the outer courts of the temple. You couldn't even be in the city of Jerusalem. You had to be outside the city limits because you were so awful. We'll send you out there. And that's what they did to Jesus. They made him carry a cross, but he was too weak to carry it. So another man helped him carry it to a hill outside the city where they nailed Jesus to the cross, and he died. A sinner's punishment, an execution for crimes he did not commit. But the amazing thing about our faith is justification. I I saw this image when I was in college, and it helped me understand this this theological doctrine. So I want you guys to get it. So over here on the left is you. On the right is Jesus. And guess what? Jesus was 100% human just like us. That's why he looks the same, okay? But you have sin. And what happens on the cross is that all of our sin, the punishment we deserve for the crimes that we have committed, the sin that we have sinned against God, all of that actually gets put on Jesus on the cross. But if we believe in faith in what Jesus did, his righteousness is given to us. Do you see that? And what do you see in the middle there? It's the cross. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Our sin went on Jesus. His righteousness is given to us. That's what happens in faith when we believe. Because Jesus was the final sacrifice, the Son of God, the perfect spotless Lamb, who was killed not in the temple, but on the cross outside the city. And when Jesus, the Son of God, died, all of that sin was transferred upon him. And the righteousness that he earned, because he was right before God in his life, is given to us through faith. And God proves that this happens by raising Jesus from the dead on the third day, saying, yeah, I have the power to conquer sin, death, and the devil. Just proved it. So, as I have a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, you, sit, you, you stand before God as if you were Christ, Because Christ stood before God as if he were you. That's what we believe in justification, the heart of what we believe. That's what the cross is so important. That's why people all over the world have crosses tattooed and on their necklaces and you see them on buildings because that's what happened on the cross, justification. It's just as if you'd never sinned. You were declared right by the only judge who ever mattered. And therefore, when you die, whether it's today or 100 years from now, you can stand before the judgment seat of Christ Say, I believe, and it will be counted to you as righteousness. That's justification. 
So some of you here, um, you identify more with the Pharisee, the religious guy. You've done some good stuff. Maybe you've even reformed. You look in the past and you're like, look, I'm doing pretty good for myself now. I'm not perfect, sure, but you know, you should have heard my mouth back then saying those pretty bad jokes. I don't cuss anymore. Like, look at me. I'm doing a good job. If you're the Pharisee, do you know what the solution is? It's to humble yourself, to cry out for mercy, saying, I have sinned. I have committed the sin of pride and self-righteousness. I need your mercy, God. Forgive me. But if you're here today and you identify with the sinner and you're like, I've done a lot of bad stuff. I don't even feel comfortable to go to church. I'm not in church. (laughs) I'm watching online. I'm listening to this. So I'm too much of a sinner. If that's you, do you know what the solution is? Humble yourself and cry out for mercy. Two people, same solution, right? Jesus gives us the big idea for my message at the very end. He, he's, he's real good at this. I didn't even have to make up one this week. Look at the end of verse 14, what Jesus says. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the truth. If you lift up yourself, you look at yourself and you say, I'm justified, I'm righteous in my own eyes compared to everybody else, there will be a day where you will be humbled before the judgment seat. Because it's not about what you do. You bring nothing to your salvation except your own sin. But if you are like the tax collector, you imitate him and you say, I will confess my sins. I will humble myself and say, I have sinned again and again and again and I keep sinning when I know better now, and you cry out for mercy, God will lift you up. That's how it works. That's justification. So we're going to take a moment right now. Chase and the band are going to lead us in a song, and I want us to repent. I want us to confess our sins. If you need to, you can beat your breast. You can do whatever you want. You can kneel on the ground, because we are the people that should be the most humble of all. We are, as Christians, we're the the self-confessed sinners. I tell you, I'm the lead pastor here, but I'm also the lead sinner in this church. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against my wife. I've sinned against my kids. I've sinned against God in heaven. And I need his mercy today and every day. Sometimes the worst thing is when you've made some progress, then you become more and more like the Pharisee, even if you were the tax collector at the beginning. We need mercy. We need to cry out to God in repentance, in true repentance. And if you're the sinner, maybe today for the first time, you can find mercy because Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. All that you have to do is bring your sin and lay it down. Say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, this prayer, I, I pray it all the time. It's a breath prayer. I pray it whenever I, I like breathing in. A lot of times I'll, I'll remember it. When I'm stressed, I'll say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want this to become your prayer, that this is the way we walk, that we admit that we are sinners, that we have done what is wrong. We can't judge other people. We confess our sins so that we can receive the mercy from God. So please stand up right now. And I'm going to lead us into worship. Lord God, we cry out to you. Like that tax collector, would we be like him? Would we be like that sinner that is honest enough to admit our faults and our sin, whether it is self-righteousness or an awful sin that everybody knows about? Maybe it's something hidden. Maybe it's something that nobody knows about but you, God, but we have sinned against you. So we come to you and we confess that sin. We admit that we are sinners. Have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. The sinners. 
we come to you honest before you and we need your heart, your heart of mercy and love and compassion to come and forgive us of our sins. Justify us in your eyes and not ours. Let us be humble before you, God, that you may exalt us. You might lift us up in due time. Amen. So right now, Chase and the band are going to lead us into this song. We're going to sing some of it. We're going to have a little bit of a moment of repentance, but make sure you stay. Don't leave during this song because we have something really special at the end of the service you guys got to stick around for.